and welcome to the second series of Star Guitar. It's really good to be back. I was slightly bowled over by the response to the first run of episodes, and what started out as me making something that I wanted to listen to has reached a number of people far beyond my expectations. So I'd like to thank anyone who's listened, subscribed to the series, rated an episode, or got in touch to say that they've enjoyed it. Since I recorded the first series, I've bought some lovely new microphones, which will mean, in theory at least, that this series sounds better than the first. And I've got another great run of guests lined up, none more so than the guest for this first episode, Marika Hackman. She released her first EP in 2012, followed by a handful more, and toured pretty extensively with Laura Marlin in the following years, who acted as a kind of mentor figure to Marika. We Slept At Last, her debut album was released in 2015, which is a dark, sort of electro-folk-inspired record, earning Marika rave reviews, but also a load of tags like kooky and quirky that didn't quite tell the whole story. For her second record, I'm Not Your Man, which came out in 2017, Marika switched to the electric guitar and called in her friends from the big moon to act as her backing band. The resulting record built on what she'd done before, developing her clever lyrics and gift for a surprising melody. She took an even bigger leap for last year's Any Human Friend, on which she added synths to the mix and addressed the breakdown of her serious relationship and sexuality with blunt, often hilarious lyrics. We cover all of this in the interview, which we did in Marika's front room before Christmas last year, and we go over everything from her days playing her brother's acoustic guitar and her collection of beautiful Fender Mustangs to the lack of female guitar-playing role models and why she needs to get cracking on her next record. And I should say now, if you hear any odd rumbles during the interview, that it was Marika's stomach, um, which was on impressive form throughout. I took some wagon wheels with me, but they didn't do the trick. Anyway, here's the episode. I hope you like it. Hi, I'm Marika Hackman and you're listening to Star Guitar. Normally start by going back to the very beginning with yeah. people about where they started with a guitar, but since as you've got your guitar next to you and it's all plugged in, um, can you talk us through it? <laughs> what, this particular Th- that guitar? That particular one, yeah. So this, this guitar is called Gert. Gert? Yeah. Why Gert? Um, just kind of stuck out to me. I mean, it was Gertrude and now I call her Gert. Nice. Um, named after anyone or just looks no. like a Gertrude? I think I actually named it on stage Okay. at a gig at The Great Escape. It was the first show I played with this guitar. And I think someone might have even shouted it out from the crowd. Oh, that's um, nice. And it kind of it feels right. And she's a little 1967 Mustang in Daphne Blue. But it's gone... What's amazing is it kind of looks quite seafoamy because mm. the varnish... Is the bit that discolours. So yeah. underneath the blue is still pure and beautiful. That and then the varnish goes yellow. So it's actually really green around the edges, um, and it's all original parts. But we did have to get it refretted, which was the only bit for touring, which is a shame. But why that? Uh, I mean, I've seen you play like Mustangs before, but why that particular one? Well, the, the specifically yeah, this one. Yeah, it, um, it was one of those things. I, I just wanted one with a bit more character and a bit. The, the older with Mustangs they get, the tone just gets a lot richer, and mm. a lot of the new Mustangs. I guess because they're smaller um, and the kind of pickups they use, they're quite tinny. Sounds a bit harsh, but they can be, they're very top endy. And mm-hmm. um, it's nice to find one that's got a bit more character in it and a bit more soul. And this is a really, really good one. So. It's beautiful. And the colour, they sort of, they like this colour in cases, don't they, over the mm. years and the yeah. chemicals react and stuff. So yeah. um, you wouldn't, I, apart from that bit that's worn on the bottom there, you wouldn't necessarily think it was Daphne Blue. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's, and it's in good nick as well. It's only got a few dents. I always worry that I did some of them, but I don't think I did. <laughs> it's all part of the story of the guitar, isn't it? Yeah. And you've got a big sticker on the back of the neck. Yes, it says loser. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sub pop sticker. And I like I like putting stickers on guitars because you can take them off, you know. It's yeah. kind of it's a nice way of making something feel a bit more personal without like affecting it. Sub pop on my label out in America and their loser brand is quite a big thing. So I had this loser sticker when I was out playing in Seattle and I thought it'd be kind of fun to put it on the back of the neck because I can show it to my band, but the crowd can't see. Um, (laughs) So yeah, that's why that's there. Well, everyone knows it's there now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So could you play something for us? That's quite scary. Well, it doesn't have to be something of yours or whatever. If you just give us a run through the um, sounds on it. Well, yeah, I'll try and think. I mean, stuff like because when I first started playing this guitar, this was my it was my second electric guitar. I had an Epiphone from the sixties as well that was I had before, but that had one pickup and is very very basic. It's a oh my god, I can't. Even, I think it's an Olympic. Okay, so like um, 
Like a cold nap, but with only one pickup. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Which actually, there's a story about that. It got stolen once. Um, oh. And I, I kind of got a picture of the guy on CCTV and he sent it back in a cab the next day. I had a show the next day and that guitar kind of was slightly cursed and went on quite a lot of adventures, um, but was good for what I needed at the beginning, which was something very simple. Um, I like that a thief has a conscience, not enough of a conscience to stop him doing it, but <laughs> yeah. enough of it, enough of one to send to it get back. get it back, yeah. yeah. Um, but then when I got this one, when I got Gert, I think I started really, rather than just playing how I'd always written stuff, you know, on an acoustic guitar and just transferring that across onto the electric, I started to write more sort of riff heavy things. Mm-hmm. So kind of like I remember um, the open wide riff, yeah. which I wrote on this guitar, which is... Oops, no, it's not that. I haven't played it for about two years. So... I actually can't remember how to play that riff. <laughs> that's really embarrassing. I should have prepared for this. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's it. Okay, I will get it. That. Wow, muscle memory is one hell of a thing. I know, right? So I haven't played that song for about <laughs> two years. But yeah, so that kind of riff. And I, I remember, I mean, it's quite, it is quite Nirvana-y, that riff. It's quite, um, it's got that kind of chromatic weirdness it's to like it. It's like the semitone thing in there. Yeah, yeah and yeah, I remember yeah. I, wrote, I was down at my parents' house in Devon and my brother was kind of like walking past the door and then he was like, oh, it sounds like Nirvana. But um, yeah, so I kind of started writing riffs for the first time. Mm-hmm. And this was when I must have been about mm, 21. Okay. So it had always been about the song. I think something about an acoustic guitar always leads you to think about harmony and chords. And um, I didn't see myself as a guitarist per se. When I was learning on the acoustic, I saw myself as a songwriter that was using an instrument to facilitate that. And then with this guitar, moving on to a more electric sound, you know, I started to experiment with what the guitar could actually do on a song and that it didn't have to be the backbone for the entire thing, holding it all together. And so, yeah, I started writing riffs and I think about those moments, like writing that open wide riff when I was 21 or whatever, and think about the record I've just made now, which is so riff heavy. It has guitar solos in it and stuff like that. And like now I'm at a point where I think, yes, I am a guitarist, but it's taken a hell of a long time and quite a strange protracted route to get there. And that's um, a developing thing. It's not a... It wasn't like a moment where you were like, now I'm a guitarist. Yeah, no, that's, that, yeah, there wasn't a moment. There was kind of, um, I mean, I think, I guess in a way, it's an element of self-defense to be like, I'm not, I'm not really a guitarist, you know, because no one's going to judge you on that. Like, oh, well, I didn't say I was any good. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And I think because I taught myself, so I, was, I started playing when I was 14. So it came after every other instrument that I'd already been learning and that I'd been having lessons in. So what, you playing private. drums and... Drums and um, bass guitar and piano. Okay. Um, but singing and playing the guitar was something that I was really private about. Um, maybe because I just really cared. But I would teach myself in my room and just play it all the time. Um, and started to sing as well alongside that. So it was kind of, yeah, this very personal experience to me that didn't feel like it had the swagger, I guess, that I connected with being a kind of proper guitarist. You know, and luckily now my ego has increase substantially and the, the swagger has <laughs> finally hit and I can take a guitar solo and it's it feels great um but yeah it's been like very gradual really really okay. kind of slow you can see the swagger on stage when you're playing because um <laughs> it's it, it, always interesting you see a lot of say solo artists who've got you know complex guitar parts on their record yeah and then as soon as they get a band in they stand at the front just strumming and, and the, the guitar player that they've brought in does all the uh Fancy bits, basically. You don't seem to um, delegate in that way. (laughs) Well, you know, when you write these parts, you definitely, I I mean, I certainly picture there's an element of, you know, how is this going to come across live and and that attitude and everything. And they're really fun. Yeah. So I try to not be harsh on my guitarist. So I'll give him, you know, I want him to have some fun playing with me. But ultimately, you know, if there's a solo, I'm going to play it. Or if it's like my favourite riff, I'm going to play it because... It's, yeah, it's the best feeling being up there and, and kind of playing it all live. And also I love the challenge of um, uh, when you've got kind of vocal parts and guitar parts that are really kind of syncopated and, mm-hmm. and strange that shouldn't really fit together, um, trying to actually play them together and sing and play at the same time with a lot of that. It feels like it's a real brain workout yeah. in a really good way. I like a challenge, you know, to try and master that. Talking about the new record then, um, what if you, do you have a favourite guitar part on that record? 
a lot of the songs, the one blow, those sort of very standout guitar moments on all of those. Yeah. Do you have an absolute favourite? That is really hard because I do love a lot of those riffs. Um, and I had one in my head just then and then you mentioned those songs and I was like, oh yeah, but those, those bits, which sounds like I'm being really arrogant, but you know, I put a lot of time into this stuff and it's, it's nice. Um, the conventional ride opening one, which mm-hmm. was like one that I kind of, I wrote in this house upstairs in my room and it was really late at night as well, which was strange, but normally, because normally I, I worked a quite strict working day, but all my housemates were back and they were all asleep. I remember it was probably like midnight and... I just had my headphones on and had to kind of write it really quietly. But it, so the way I write guitar parts is very much I hear things and I have to work out how the hell to play them. And a lot of the time I actually play them in quite kind of convoluted ways that other, other guitarists are like, you know, you could just be playing it on like the A string in a different way. And I'm like, well, it doesn't sound the same. When you say hear things, do you mean like you imagine a melody in your head? Um, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And I kind of make, I like certain shapes on the guitar as well to make, which is... Oh, we can go into that in a minute. Okay. But you've got this, like, uh, sorry, this is, I have just been playing this on tour, but, yeah. Oops, sorry, fuck shit, man, I'm really showing off. I actually can play the guitar really well. <laughs> it's just this high pressure. Okay, well, high pressure, High pressure, on. high pressure. Which is quite a weird, there's a lot of little finger doing a lot of work there. Mm-hmm. Also, you'll notice it takes me a long time to work out what notes I'm playing, what strings things are on, and I couldn't tell you what key anything this is This is why you don't delegate as well, because it's hard to explain yes. what you're doing. Yeah, and it's funny, because I've actually, a lot of times I've had to work with other, with bands and train people up in my band, and, and then take it to a whole, like I've just been in America with a whole new band playing for me out there. Um, and so teaching them the parts, um, a lot of the time I let people just get on with it the way that, I see like the way they want to play it. I'm kind of fine with that. I'm not yeah. going to be crazy about it. If, as long as it's easiest for them and they feel comfortable, like, every guitarist has their own style. But sometimes there really is no other way of playing things. So I actually think that that like uh, riff there never quite got mastered, but we just like, I was playing it as well. So we could kind of like hide it. But and that's fine because it's all, you know, it's all part of a live show. Mm-hmm. But they're just, yeah, I think sometimes they're just a bit. Um, well, that's a signature strange. with the song as well, isn't it? So it can't, I guess it can't be different. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's one of my favourite. I love the way it goes up and harmonises as well. I think it's so funny. Like a harmonised guitar just like makes me laugh, but also makes me incredibly satisfied every single time. There's um, um, a moment on the one when it's sort of underneath the chorus. Yeah, I think I know which one. And it's like really, really like heavy processed guitar. Like yeah. That, um, where did that come from? Do you spend a long time when you're recording that record um, finding sounds? Um, not particularly. The demos had really kind of like showed off where I wanted to go with the sound. And then when me and David were in a studio, he had some nice fancy pedals and he's good at getting everything so it will fit and not get muddy and kind of like make it really clear. I can't remember what exactly the distortion was. I think is the bit you're talking about the like, um, that like. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, that was going to be one of my other favorite moments. Um, it's got it's so kind of uh, percussive, but it's got it's got so much sass. But it's funny because it's not stealing the limelight. It's kind of sitting in there, just holding it all together. Again, you know, it kind of just came out of nowhere when I was writing that. I don't really know. I kind of heard something and went with it and had a go. And I'd never really written a guitar part that that was that kind of funky before. And that that was one of the first songs I wrote for that record for Any Human Friend. So after that, it kind of set the bar somewhere of funkiness that yeah. was like really exciting to play with a lot of the other riffs like that blow riff as well which is like that kind of um oops god jesus christ <laughs> that kind of thing yeah i mean you get the picture yeah which actually took like a really long time again because I heard it and then I had to like teach myself it and I remember taking it to the studio and kind of being like oh god yeah and I've got to play these things because you can do it once on a demo and shove it in there and it's like cool and then you kind of get confronted with it again and then you take it live again and then, so for that bit for instance you know I'm singing over the top of that and I'm kind of it's like a whole different beast but yeah it's funny. I can't believe you do both things at the same time it, it's um a real skill I mean it's more than patting your head and rubbing your stomach or whatever it definitely is more but it i mean it is the in in its essence the same thing and it's something that i couldn't do uh two and a half three years ago okay so my my kind of the way i approach life and it's the same you know it's with the guitar as well like 
you actually can if you just try really hard and work really hard you can do these things but it's just quite dull to get to the point where you can <laughs> so yeah I kind of see it as well yeah you know I'm not well I'm not going to give that riff to someone else I want to play it so it's like okay cool I've just got to work out how to do this and you kind of find a way and then suddenly you'll be playing it 150 times and then suddenly you'll get it and that's it like it's done it's in your head and then two years later you can't quite remember it and it's yeah I mean <laughs> there's there's a lot of you know and I'm yeah I actually haven't touched a guitar for about a week as well so this feels quite strange but um yeah no I'm kind of it's funny the muscle memory thing though because I as much as it's Things kind of slide in and out. I don't think they ever disappear. You know, no. I, I can remember guitar parts that I wrote when I was like 17, 18 and stuff from kind of first EPs. I haven't played for, not like two years, I haven't played for sort of like six years, which is weird. Other guitars then. Um, Mustang's very much your uh, thing. Yeah. What I always, I always have like thoughts about different, the connotations of different guitars. Mm-hmm. And you see somebody with a certain thing and you just think, ah, you know, this or what they're going to sound like or how they're going to play maybe or what influences they have. And whenever I see someone playing like a Duosonic or a Mustang, I always think, here's someone who is uh, not too showy Mm -hmm. because it's not a Strat, which is a bit more kind of flash. But um, maybe it's like a slacker thing or a surf thing, but it's something very laid back about it. Yeah. Um, Why do you think you play Mustang so much? What is it that appeals to to you? First of all, I just I do like the way that they look. Yeah, I like the shape. I like the offset, and it's but it's not too offset. Sometimes I think Jags look a bit crazy, like they're yeah. drunk. But like, it's also <laughs> small, um, which is very very useful when you have to stand around for an hour or so playing with it, or you're rehearsing all day. Like the, my my back is ruined and my shoulders are ruined. But if I was playing um, anything like heavier or bigger you know, it's like 10 times more ruined. So I like how small they are. Like, I like that I can get around it quickly. Like, nature is nature. And, like, I have smaller hands than most men and I have a smaller build than most men. And it's kind of like, it, it seems to fit much better to mm-hmm. my body. Because you want to feel like it's not like a part of you in a kind of cheesy way, but it's, it's an ex- it should be feel like an extension, not something yeah. that's kind of stuck on. Um, and there's a lot of very, very big guitars out there. Um, and another thing is... Because strats, I mean, strats are great. They sound awesome. Um, I suppose, yeah, in my head, I always, as a teenager, kind of associated them with more like Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of like vibes and John Mayer and stuff. And that's like not the kind of music I ever really Mm. wanted to play. Um, And the curve at the top, um, (laughs) really annoyingly, and it's something I find with pretty much all acoustic guitars, but with like a strat, that curve at the top, you get this weird sort of under boob thing that's actually just very like unpleasant. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel nice to kind of have your boob being like propped up. Um, So that was a kind of, like I didn't <laughs> didn't want that and tellies no. as well tellies again it's a similar kind of John Mayer Steve Ray Vaughan that is a, it's a different kind of if they felt like really serious guitars for like serious guitarists you know all the musicians I'd seen playing them who were they felt like guitarists yeah when I saw someone I don't know like obviously classically Kurt Cobain slamming around on a Mustang or Jagstang or whatever um I wasn't looking at him and thinking, you're the best guitarist in the world. I was thinking like, whoa, what are these songs? Like, what are you doing with that thing? How are you like, and that was the kind of process that I went through learning the guitar. Like I said, you know, I was a songwriter. I was writing songs and I was using guitar to do that. Um, I I felt too intimidated by the whole thing, Mm. Um, especially starting kind of what felt like a lot later than kind of all the people around me at school um, to kind of, get something like a telly and feel like I was going to go and, I don't know, get all fancy. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly it. You know, somebody with a Mustang, you just think, oh, I don't take this too seriously. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean you can't play or anything, but it's like, I'm not going to be a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it just feels like a a guitar. It's yeah. just a guitar mm. guitar. You know, it hasn't, doesn't feel like it's got any extra stuff to me. Like, And it, that's nice because you can kind of imprint your own personality on mm. it and use it in whatever way that you want, which is, which is cool. What was the first guitar that you got? First guitar I got was a it was an acoustic guitar. It was a uh, Takamini. Is it Takamini or Takamine? I don't. I say Takamini, but yeah, I could Takamini. be wrong. So you know. So yeah, we'll a, say you know. Takamini. It was a Takamini, yeah. little acoustic. Um, 
nothing fancy. Yeah. Um, so I will actually effectively, I had been learning at home. I would steal my brother's guitar because whilst I was learning the bass, he was learning the guitar. And, but we had a kind of one that my dad had got, I think one of his mates was throwing it away and it was, he gave him like a five or something. And so we had this re- it's really bad. The action was like so high. That's actually what I started writing on and, and teaching myself on. So I think I got quite a good grip because I had to press down <laughs> so hard. And so then when I was 16, I got this Takamini. So that suddenly, you know, oh my God, I don't have to press, like clench the neck to yeah. try and get a, a chord out of it, which was nice. And then after I got um, a record deal and management and all that stuff, um, they decided I should get a better acoustic guitar. Yeah. And so I have my Gibson Blues King, um, which I use for all my acoustic stuff now. Um, and then you know, decided to make the move to electric pretty shortly after that as well. Well, I'd, I'd have both, you know, in a show. Yeah. And that's when I got the Epiphone. But yeah, it was that little Takamini at the beginning. Or actually, yeah, preceded by that bizarre, strange one that we had. And I mean, I know you've played electric before, but like the big sort of transition was with the second record. With the first album, there was a big thing, you know, you see this quirky folk, yeah. you know, tag and all those terrible words that people use. Like, Kooky's the best one. Kooky, right. <laughs> But kooky and um, people say chanteuse and all, you know, you hear all of those words mm-hmm. um, bandied around, whether they're true or not. I don't know if they have much meaning anyway, really. But how much of a, the shift to playing with a band and sort of almost only playing electric was a reaction to that? Um, it was definitely a part of it. Um, I don't think it was a main drive. I think I was kind of ready for that. Yeah. It was definitely, there's definitely a confidence element to kind of, starting to work with a band, putting yourself as the leader of that as well, which I wouldn't have, wouldn't have had the confidence at all before then. And even just making more noise, you know, being like a noise, having a noisier instrument, having to sing louder, that's, it's all confidence-based. So that I wouldn't have been able to do that earlier on. And it's definitely how I visualised myself as a musician when I was a kid. So it was kind of like I was always going to get to that point. And I did get really fed up after the that first record came out with the those kind of taglines that were being thrown mm. around because they felt totally incongruous with what I felt that I had created um, and still do. Um, it's so interesting, but it's funny because they, they last, they last forever. Um, I put out that second album and it was, Boyfriend was called a folk rock anthem. Really? Yeah. And then even with the last one, there's been some folk thrown in, sort of folk pop rock, but it's absolutely bizarre. It's so strange, but people just will always go back and look at that and go for that. And it's kind of, it's so frustrating, but you have to just get on with what you're going to do. So it was a big, it was a big factor, but it wasn't the be all and end all. I didn't sit there and go, I'm wow, wow, wow. Like I'm fed up. I'm, I'm going to like get the big moon to come and make a record with me and kind of start writing grungy tunes and all that kind of stuff. That'd be quite a drastic reaction, wouldn't it? That, yeah. I think. A little yeah. OTT. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, I was ready for it basically. I knew that's where I wanted to go and Quite frankly, like when I sit down and write songs, I'm not actually even thinking about anything like that. I just see what comes out and mm. then kind of take that as a lead of where I'm going to go with it. I think Violet was the first song I wrote for that album. I was like, cool. Was that stuff in you already, do you think, that just needed time to like gestate and you to get good enough to do it as well? Because it's not, you know, you can't just you can't just make a record like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, you need to do stuff before it to lead up to it. But was it always there? I think so, definitely. Um, you can hear bits of it on that first album, mm. like Open Wide. Was, you know, that's, that's a kind of grungy, moody song that was kind of definitely a precursor to what was coming next. And that even on some of those early EPs, I listen back and it's like, it's just the treatment of the songs, really. Some of them could have been like big sort of grunge, rocky anthems like Cinnamon or something like that, you know, that like they could have, they could be those things. Um, I was just stretching my sort of creative production songwriting muscles and kind of working out where I wanted to fit in it all um which was a really amazing sort of enlightening experience and putting out all the EPs and all of these profoundly different records that I've put out it's really nice to know that I don't think you do have to settle I don't think you have to be like this is who I am this is my sound and people are buying into that I think people in my opinion I want them to buy into me as a songwriter not as a soundsmith, you know? So if I'm writing songs that people connect with and that people like, like that should be the through line that, yeah. that glues everything together, as well as the fact that I have 
a singing voice that is that's slightly unique in some ways um that you can kind of sit atop everything and almost hold it together as well um and you know there's always the slightly strange little guitar bits that go in there you know there's the little chromatic things and the shifting from the major to the minor that i would say are quite like signature things to my sound but as far as i see it i want to just push everything as far as i can in whatever direction feels comfortable at the time i guess if you need proof that that's working you've been picking up more fans as you've gone is is absolute proof that that's yeah the case you know that it's not um one sound that people were after yeah um because it yeah, the the growth has been in almost like it feels certainly from the outside anyway, like it's been a straight line from the first record like uh, tra- trajectory. Yeah, it's been good. You never know though; the next one could be the undoing of it all. <laughs> that death, the death metal record that I'm writing currently. You know, sometimes <laughs> I wonder. Are you just taking blue solos and stuff? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like fifteen minute solos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, after the. Um, you said you got that Epiphone. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I've seen you playing a few different um, Mustangs. How many have you got? Um, so hang on. One th- so the one I use now, predominantly for live, is it's called Peanut. Um, it's one of the newer ones, and it's got P90 pickups. In it's it, so Sunburst one. Yeah. Um, and it just breaks up quicker, so it kind of gives a bit more um, shreddiness, I suppose, to the sound. And it's because I go through a deluxe reverb amp as well, Fender, mm-hmm. and they you have to whack them up to like six before you can get them to do anything that's going to be um, that breaking up and that warmth because they're just so loud. Yeah, and yeah. I have to I have to keep it at about three so they don't blast our ears off. So it's good to have something with pickups that are a bit more responsive. Um, so that's like my main one. Um, I've got Pig, which is a little pink one, which I use as a backup. All named, all named, yeah. And then I've got a, a, a kind of another like blue shiny one that I got really recently mm-hmm. um, called Yo out after my housemate because it's screams. She screams a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> and she called, she's called Yo, which is not she's called Joey, but yeah. So Yo, I've got they're, they're, I think I have four Mustangs. Basically, okay. is what I'm trying to say. I have four Mustangs, um, and I've still got my Epiphone as well. But that's it in terms of electric guitars. I haven't got. Oh no, what? Who am I kidding? I've got a Jazzmaster. Sorry, that was so mean. It's just over there as well. I feel really bad. That one's not even named. Wow. So you forgot it, and it's not named. Yeah, it's hard. It's a tricky one because um, I don't use it live so much because it's heavy. But it's it's really good for right. It's a bit more versatile. Like it's mm-hmm. got it's got more stuff going on in terms of pickups and things like that. So it's it's kind of fun when I'm making demos and things like that to play around with sounds a bit more. Is um, it an old one? No. Okay. It's a newbie. Yeah, the only old ones are um, Gert and the Epiphone. <laughs> Do you have any uh, dream guitars that you would? Like definitely like to own, or are you you kind of done. I think I'm kind of done. I like um old acoustics. There's a one over there behind you. That's a 1952 Gibson, which is a lovely guitar. Quite unique though, and I think a lot of like snobby guitarists might play it and be like, oh the tone is it's not very deep and all that kind of stuff. But it's got real character and it has it resonates in a really unique way. And I used to do a lot of the kind of um different tuning acoustic mm-hmm. stuff like before i sleep and let me in on that guitar and it kind of would create this like shimmer that i'd never heard a guitar do before so i really like it could um, you play it yeah i can play it thanks well let's see it again it. it's been about four thousand years let's see i feel like i need to tune it i mean like it's got quite a kind of um like plucky so like It's, it's kind of um, to be fair the strings are about 3,000 years old but um, it sounds great yeah but it's it's kind of distinctive it's not got that super rich like well it is warm but it's just warm in a different way yeah. it's a kind of like um, and it sounds it sounds old I mean it sounds like you could kind of hear it being kind of played around in sort of some parlour in like the 50s or something but like it doesn't feel like it's got a, like a big a big hollow body that's kind of got mm. this like depth to it. Yeah. But it's weird, yeah, it kind of has something that resonates in a really good way that's kind of Where did you get it? Um there's a, a guitar shop in Shoreditch, I used to live around the corner. Um they've changed their name. 
but they've got really good guitars in there. I think it's the only one in Shoreditch. So. Right. But um, yeah, and I actually went in and basically I was like, I was looking at it and then I think because I was looking at it, this other guy was like hovering around. <laughs> and so I was like, oh God, you know, I don't know if I should be splashing out on this. And it was after, it was just after my first album came out, which also coincidentally kind of came out on my birthday. So I was like, you know, but I could have like a first album birthday present to myself. And this guy was like standing there and then I knew the people in the shop because I used to go in there quite a lot. And then they were just like, by the way, if you leave and put that guitar down, that man's going to buy it, which they were probably just having me on. But he was really hovering. He was like watching me playing it and standing next to me. Do you reckon so. they pay him a day rate to sort of um, hurry people into buying things? You know what? I'd never thought of that before. But now telling this story, <laughs> I think I might have been had. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I rang up my housemate and was like, can you do me a solid and like lend me half the deposit for this this guitar right now? And then I put I bought it. And <laughs> she did very oh, kindly. That's nice. Um and yeah, and I got it. And it's just really I love it. I love it for like I find whenever I get a new instrument, especially if it feels like it's got a bit of something else to it. It's kind of unique in a way. I'm like I always end up writing a song. Like straight it's away. So common that people that you speak to and they they get a guitar and the first thing they do is write a, quite a significant song on it because yeah. something about it just changes the way they play or totally. something sounds really good on it that gets them to do something new. Um, how precious are you about your guitars? What is in keeping them safe and happy? Yeah. Um, not very. Like, yes, I am. I'd be, I mean, I'd be devastated if any of the like vintage ones had anything mm. happen to them because that feels irreplaceable in certain ways and especially one like Gert because I've written so many songs on that guitar I've toured so much with that guitar and it was like the the first kind of electric that I properly worked with so that like sentimental value is quite heavy um and it, yeah if that got lost I'd be pretty upset but I've lost guitars before I lost I lost a um Jaguar at the airport someone nicked it off the belt and it's kind of like you just have to get on with it and I kind of I'm not super fussy about keeping them all at perfect temperatures and things like that all the time yeah. and kind of shining them up and I like take them to get set up every now and then and kind of a little service or whatever but they're you know they're, they're built to last hence well, why I've yeah. got these two you know right here with me um so yeah I'm kind of I'm not super fussy God, that's nearly, yeah that's nearly 70 years old that one and it's yeah. um it's in, still in pretty good nick yeah I can't believe somebody would steal a guitar off an airport belt yeah, it was so rubbish. We've been stuck in Madrid Airport for 15 hours as well because of a tiny bit of snow. <laughs> it was so bad. And we just forgot that we had to recheck in all of our gear. We were obviously coming back from playing a gig and there were two guitars which were in sort of the more lightweight new like plastic fender mm-hmm. cases. And um, those two just got nabbed. And then we had, I think, Gert was there but in a... Um, in like a proper flight case, yeah, which was moved halfway across the room. So they'd obviously tried and failed. That's what a sad story. I know it was very intense. And then we so then we got home, and my laptop had been stolen from my house. We'd had a break in, and that had all of my work for the last album on it, which was not backed up. So that was really bad. It was a bad couple of days. <laughs> Just gonna say that now. So you're, you're all the stuff like demos for your yeah. most recent record. Yeah. So for instance, like the one and Han Solo. I didn't actually have stems coming into the um, final recording process for that, for all of the, like, uh, vocal samples and things. I had to redo them all because um, those demos were stolen. How much of it would you have used? It, those two were done, and I did end up using them because I could remember how they went, which was good. Um, there was a lot of other stuff that probably wouldn't have ended up on there, but I tend to work in a way where I have a lot of ideas that I record. So rather than feeling like you're working straight away on a blank page you know coming back into making a record Mm -hmm. I can kind of open those up um and they spark something off or I can actually turn them into songs eventually but it's like this kind of bed of like there were probably about like 30 or 40 different kind of beginnings of songs and ideas that had never turned into anything but we were just a good place to start without feeling incredibly intimidated wow which guitarists were you kind of looking to then I mean you mentioned Kurt Cobain already um when you were when you were learning who who was a big sort of figure for you i don't think that anyone who's actually who i would deem was like a guitarist i don't think i was very aware of people playing the guitar per se you know it was like 
songwriters and listening to the the full thing I, i've never been one to kind of really enjoy some watching someone wigging out yeah everything has to have a purpose and a place it's like i i mean, that's not to like any you know people doing that that's an incredible talent and obviously lots of people love that stuff it's just not for me and the way that i write music like i don't take a solo and improvise i like i write everything down to yeah. the last thing and that's it's I can't improvise. I don't know how to play the guitar well enough. I don't have an understanding of the instrument in terms of scales and everything like that. But what I can do is hear a melody in my head and work out how to play it and play it right every single time. Mm-hmm. Not that I've displayed that today particularly. but We believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just trust, trust. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so I'm very meticulous in that way. So when I was a kid and I was sort of wanting to play the guitar, it was I would always look at drummers more. I was like obsessed with John Bonham. Like I'd, I'd kind of guitarists I felt like were a bit self-indulgent you know and I kind of I was always just looking at songwriters so even when I was talking about like yeah Kurt Cobain it was like as a songwriter as a band how is this sounding and what's happening I don't want to pick out something and isolate it because it should all be kind of gelled together to yeah. make something because my stomach make something um really work and I think coming into playing the guitar um myself my biggest inspiration was Laura Veres and I felt a very deep connection with her music to the extent that I almost couldn't listen to it for a while because it made me feel so sort of filled with ennui and kind of this that strange homesickness that you can't really place. Mm. And it, but that it hit a nerve and I was like, that's such an, a powerful thing. That's what I want to do. And her guitar parts are simple. She's not like showing off. She's using them to write songs and to kind of express whatever needs to be expressed within the confines of what makes a good song. So... That to me was my biggest inspiration, I think, in my career up to this point, because I was like, I think I can do that. You know, if I watched some dude like shredding out in the front of a stage with like thousands of screaming people in front of them, in my head, I was like, well, first of all, like that doesn't really look or feel like me. And second of all, like that looks really hard and I I couldn't do that. Whereas the thought of just writing a song um, and keeping it simple, but just, you know, taking it from where it is and seeing where it goes that was like oh I actually maybe I could have a go so yeah. I did and I started writing music and I started writing music which was playing the guitar it was the same thing for me it was all part of the same thing and then kind of everything else came later hungry Marika. a little bit hungry. <laughs> oh my god this is all over my records by the way if you would strip back the vocal it's just my stomach rumbling <laughs> it's so loud like, it's school was the worst any lessons before lunch <laughs> So <laughs> is songwriting at the moment something you're thinking about i mean so sort of relatively close to a record coming out and sort of tour cycle yeah um are you thinking about writing yes yeah yeah, yeah. i'm on i'm on the writing thought process maybe not the active writing part coming back off a tour is always quite a uh a hotbed of songwriting activity though and i know it's going to strike soon i just need to like chill for a bit but I get kind of, I don't know, a bit like itchy, you know, I kind yeah. of, I can't write on tours. It's there's no privacy. There's no time. Um, I'm still at a level of touring where, you know, you're sitting in a van all day and you, you load in, you go to a hotel and you do exactly the same thing the next day. Like mm-hmm. it's just relentless and so there's no time. I can't do it, but that's fine because it means that my brain sort of resets and everything trickles back down again. And then I get home and you know, I have a couple of weeks of just like sleeping and thinking and thinking, oh, I should probably start trying to write a song. And then suddenly one will just come out and then it's done. It's kind of like opens the door again. Right. Okay. Because definitely when you're writing songs and you're in the cycle of writing, like they get better and better and better and it gets easier and easier and easier. And it's like a snowball effect. Trouble is by the end of writing a record, I'm usually like absolutely exhausted and like my sort of anxious side and my slightly more depressive side are like heightened times a hundred and it's like you can push that stuff you can keep digging you can keep going but ultimately like you need to shut it at some point and just reset and then start it again so it's not necessarily cathartic it's um no. it's sort of the opposite it's like both it's nice to take something out of your head and like put it into kind of almost like an object form it becomes something separate that's like split from you that's not this kind of whirlwind but i think even just the process of like pulling that out yeah it's like you're quite liable to kind of pull that and then have a kind of chain effect of pulling a hundred other things over in your brain, sort of like a very dodgy way to move where they pull a 
pull the tablecloth off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everything just comes crashing to the floor. Um, thematically on the uh, on the record, mm. um, a lot more kind of honest and open, and you know the things that you're singing about that you've not addressed before. You've got a, you know song about wanking and stuff. You yeah. Know? So I wonder how much opening the floodgates, like personally, if it's had any impact on your guitar playing. Yeah, I think it's kind of made it. I think, well, like I was saying earlier, confidence is the key, and you have to be confident if you're going to write lyrics like that. You yeah, have to be yeah, very yeah. confident in what you're saying. Um, it's bold, it's scary, but you have to like go with it, and that's the same. T- it's the same feeling to me as kind of writing a slamming guitar riff. Um, you're putting it out somewhere where you can't hide behind it. Um, Do you think those lyrics could go with a song that was just you and an acoustic guitar, or is that too is that too bad? Is it is it maybe a bit easier to get these things across when there's more noise going on in the background there's a lot of noise going on in the background right now my stomach. <laughs> um it's no i think i think you can those kind of lyrics can exist wherever and i've done stripped back versions actually a lot of a lot of these songs and it heightens the lyrics definitely yeah. like saying something like all oh, you fuckers want my dick like over an acoustic guitar sung quite sweetly which is kind of one of the only ways i know how it's like but it makes it it actually elevates the humor of it and it elevates mm. the shock factor um which i do really love uh but it's also really fun to write music that's like upbeat and weird and all over the place and loud like it's i find it really enjoyable um but i think you know you, you strip a song back i would say that like actually weirdly one of the biggest kind of hints to where any human friend was going um, from I'm not your man would be I'd rather be with them. Um, and that's because it's those lyrics are really just direct and yeah. that's a really sad song. It's really raw, it's really open, it's just over an acoustic guitar. Um, but that directness, I think, is like the, the main the main bit and that's kind of where, where I went with any human friend. I saw you do that on a like a session for something mm. um, and like a radio session so you had to change the lyrics. Was it all, my, all you want my hips? No, all you mothers want my hits. All you mothers want my hits. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long does it take you to think of uh, an alternative version? Um, I think I had some ideas and then I went in with with David because we had to then do the re-records of the clean versions and um, had some fun with it. I think he found all you mothers want my hits particularly funny. I mean, it's frustrating in a way, yeah. but it's kind of, again, it's quite a nice way to work work around something. The trouble with the one is that the main the literally the main note in the chorus that the vocal line hits is the word fuck so it's like you could beep it out but then you actually effectively lose the entire song yeah. um sometimes i'd rather just beep it out because i think it's kind of again quite funny like mm. i remember listening to like eminem and stuff when i was a kid and having stuff beeped out on the radio and it's like i want to do that but actually i'd lose i'd lose too much <laughs> what comes next for you then a bit of time off and then you've got another tour more touring and the uk at the end of February into sort of March and then just it'll be festivals and I should really be starting to string together an album yeah really behind the scenes at least certainly get maybe like half of it done because if I can write half of it soon you know then coming into sort of the end of next year when I can really have the time to focus on Mm. it it's a lot less scary um, I guess it'll be August, really, won't it? By the time you get any time to yourself, probably. Yeah, August, September, probably. Yeah. Festival, the festival season is so long now. But yeah, because then, you know, you look, I'm looking at the year after, I'll be recording it. So um, we've got to kind of crack on. You obviously made the second record with a big moon. Yeah. I wondered what that did for your guitar playing, because you, you know, you got, you know, I suppose being on your own, you don't get to hang out with that or play with that many of the guitarists, but then you've got um, sort of two or three there. Yeah. Quite, um, quite the hair metal band. Yeah, yeah, Three yeah. guitars across the front. Yeah, no, I mean, it was great. That whole experience, actually, with... Because, obviously, I was still sort of arranging everything and writing everything on my own at home because I'm just a control freak. And that's how I always work. And I'm very private and probably just quite nervous, really. So it was interesting bringing that into the group and then seeing, again, you know, that thing of I want to let guitarists play how they're going to play. Like, mm. I'm not going to kind of be militant about it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Jules and, Jules and Sofa are fantastic guitarists. And it was great to see what they were doing and kind of like learn stuff off of them and be kind of um involved in a group it's really lonely being a solo artist like it really does suck and you know the the record I've just made I spent a whole year alone in my room writing it and then you know, went and it was just me and David predominantly making the whole thing so it's 
it's very insular and it was nice to actually kind of like do the writing but then kind of open it up um and we certainly had a lot of fun in the studio when we made i'm not your man it was i mean because they're all a bunch of my mates as well so yeah it was like into i was really nervous but also that's great i think it's good to be nervous can you play something else for us yeah yeah i can play whatever you want um any particular what's your favorite riff on it I like stuff off I'm Not Where You Are, I think. There's oh, some yeah. guitar parts on there that I really like. Yeah, weirdly with I'm Not Where You Are, that was a song that I wrote and was like... I actually remember texting this girl I was dating at the time and was like, I think I've just either written like one of the most catchy, best songs I've ever written or the worst song in the world. Fine line. It is a fine line, and I had to let just sit with it, and then eventually I was like, no, this is actually just pretty catchy. I set myself the challenge to limit myself to only doing four chords for the entire song. Okay. That's how I wrote that song. So you've obviously got that main, like... Which is actually, that's... I don't know what chord that is, but I like it. That. Um, yeah. Rather than a... It's like... just keeps it a bit more mm-hmm. fruity. And then that, like... that main riff that's amazing can you do that again <laughs> it's brilliant it's really good which is that I have to sing the chorus over that one why did you think that that was cheesy I don't know I just thought it was all a bit simple I've, I, I've realised more and more you know, the longer I've had in my career that the simple isn't bad like simple's a good thing I was so anti-simple when I first started I was like everything has to be weird and we'll put it in some strange time signature and there'll be an extra half a bar here and ooh oh she's gone to the minor like whoa weird and now I'm like actually I just, it's quite nice to listen to stuff that you slightly know where it's going to go and you can play around with that mm. um and even in that song, I mean, like the second chorus, it goes somewhere completely different, which you didn't expect. But yeah, it's, um, I was just worried that it was too simple, but it's not. No, it's great. Um, and then there's the like. You know, like all that stuff. There's obviously a simpler way of playing that as well. Like all these like. But I kind of. Something about the way things slide. It's like the boyfriend riff. Well, everyone else who I've taught that song to, they play that riff completely differently and much easier. But it's that slide of up at five frets. It's the voicings, isn't it? It's different. Yeah. It just gives it like something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, another one that I always find really interesting is because um, like blah blah blah, which is I really love playing live, and um, I normally take the top octave on the like. But I had to take the intonation on this is pretty screwed. Um, I had to take the bottom half recently mm-hmm. because the other person couldn't play it, which was totally fair enough because I realised I can barely play it, Kelsey Breeze, but it's like, it is so weird. Um, look, it's like. But then now. Like that, well, basically, my hand just turned into like, like that is just the strangest stretch, then up to that and then down. But you kind of just, you just got to do it. I, I'm not surprised you couldn't show that to somebody. <laughs> it looks painful. Yeah, and it's again, I had to, I was like singing over that and kind of, and if my hands were the tiniest bit too sweaty, it was just the whole thing was just lost. I had to go back up to the octave and start wow. messing around. Do you have many um, female guitar heroes? This is something that. Obviously, in the course of doing this podcast, I've been thinking a great deal about sort of guitarists that I like and admire. And, yeah. Um, they're just they're such a dearth of female guitarists that have, not out there, but yeah. have kind of broken through and, and have a kind of uh, a status to the point where they would become a role model or an yeah. icon for people. That's the thing. I, don't, I didn't have any female guitar role models. I'm sure they were out there, but mm. I, I didn't have any. So I don't have any that were like my guitar heroes in any sense. Um, I guess like the closest I was going to get to that was like songwritery stuff mm. and that's like more like Laura Viz and like Joni Mitchell, obviously like fantastic guitarist, amazing voice, but like they're not guitar heroes. That's not like how I view them in my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you know, if I was a kid, 
now I'd probably look at someone like Anna Calvi and be like, whoa, because obviously she's insanely good at the guitar. Wales. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or even just like So from the Big Moon and her band Argo. Mm-hmm. When I go and watch them play shows, I'm just like blown away. And it's inspiring. Um, I know a lot of women that play the guitar really, really well. My ex Amber, she's from the Japanese house. She's fantastic at the guitar. She plays it all upside down and completely wrong all the strings in the wrong place and everything and it's just like everyone's got their own style and that's actually something I've really noticed with women who play guitar the style is always much more pronounced and unique and I think that's because a lot of us didn't necessarily learn the classic way where you learn mm-hmm. all the different scales and you learn how things go together and you're copying sort of like it's it's you have to forge your own path through because it's probably more unlikely that you were learning at school like mm-hmm. when all the boys were learning because, I mean, hearing a scale is really dull. So it's kind of pointless to learn them anyway. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's kind of any soloing that's born out of, like, playing a blues scale over the same chords going around that everyone's heard a million times. Like, that doesn't interest me whatsoever. And it's, it's very dull. But um, also, weirdly, I was having a conversation with a magazine the other day about, um, like, queer women kind of uh, who play music mm. and um, how she had asked everyone you know what who did they kind of feel like they wanted to be when they were going to get older and be making music and apparently everyone said Kurt Cobain right no one said a woman um and yeah like it was always Kurt Cobain I think a couple may a couple more maybe said other guys but it's funny like and I and I say Kurt Cobain because I felt like I guess he has something that's he's not playing like that overtly masculine show off guitar. It's there's something very sensitive there. Yeah. And also he was he has like a feminine energy. But that was like the closest we could get, you know, to having like a female role model doing what we saw ourselves doing. Which is crazy. And there we have the first episode of Star Guitar with Marika Hackman. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard of Marika's music, then obviously go and listen to her records or even better, uh, buy them. And she's touring the UK from February the 24th, beginning in Manchester Gorilla, if you would like to go and see her live. She's also got a load of festival dates uh, announced, so check out her website, marikahackman.com, for more information on that. As for Star Guitar, please subscribe if you haven't already, or even better, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow on Instagram, where you can see pictures of all the guitars we talk about, which is at Star Guitar Podcast, or follow on Twitter, which is at Star Guitar Pod. If you've got any comments, you can email me at stargitarpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Liam Frost for the intro music. You can go back and listen to the episode that he featured in from the first series along with all the other guests. I'll be back with another episode next week where my guest will be Ben Watts. Brilliant guitar player, solo artist extraordinaire and formerly one half of Everything But The Girl. It's a really special episode. Until then, bye bye.